Hello there, I'm Julie Vadnall, Deputy Editor of Domino, and this is Design Time, The Rebellious Ones. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know that we interviewed some of the biggest names in interior design. But this season, I'm doing things a little differently. I'm gonna be talking to rebels, the -the out-of-the-box thinkers who put their creative stamps on our world, whether they work in design, fashion, or even food. After all, you don't have to paint a room all black to be a rebel, though I think that'd be super cool. Some of us engage in tiny acts of resistance every day, and that counts too. Each week, I'll talk to a new guest, a rebellious one, if you will, about how they turn off the doubting voices in their heads and how you can find your only you style. Let's do this. Today's guest is a floral superstar. Her otherworldly designs have appeared at an Instagram Met Gala watch party, very fancy, at events for brands like Nordstrom, Lulu and Georgia, and Ghani, one of my personal favorites, but also in the homes of stylish people like Eva Chen. Her style has redefined what a floral arrangement can be, from using painted flowers to dried ones in neon colors. But she wasn't always a floral designer, and we'll get to that in a second. But first, please welcome Ryan Norville, the founder of Oat Cinnamon, to Design Time, The Rebellious Ones. I'm so happy to have you because I have admired your work for so long. I've been seeing it everywhere, and I have so many questions. So before we start, I just need you to, we do this with every guest, finish the sentence. Hi, I'm Ryan Norville, and I'm a rebel blank. Hi, I'm Ryan Norville, and I am a rebel unintentionally. Wait, why unintentionally? Because I never perceive what I'm doing as rebellious. I just think it's other people who like come to me like, wow, you did X, Y, Z. Like it never seems that rebellious to me until, you know, someone else, you know, comes up to me or wants to speak to me about the things I'm doing. I'd say a lot of times things are just so fast paced in my life that I don't even sometimes stop and see what I'm doing and really understand the weight of it until it's, you know, four in the morning and my kids won't sleep. And I'm like, oh, wow, we we did that. But otherwise, you know, I think when I think about, you know, rebellion, sometimes I think of more like these grand moments in history. And when I think about myself, I just think, you know, a lot of times things are considered rebellious and relative to what's acceptable to society. And for me, I'm just trying to find my own path and fulfill my own dreams and and stay true to myself. But to me, rebellion, such a weight to it that I don't always feel worthy of that title. It's funny what you said, too, about like, looking back in history, like I was at the Whitney last night, and we were looking at all of this art that was from like, the early 1900s. And it was like, I would just remember my boyfriend, who's an artist was like, yeah, at the time, this seemed insane. But we look at it now, we're like, Oh, that's nice. You know, like, at the time, it was wild. So maybe a lot of being a rebel is like what you said, like other people call you that it's weird to call yourself that. And you are just staying true to you. Yeah, I think, you know, sometimes I have to like ask people, you know, why do you perceive me that way? Or, you know, whatever. But, you know, in a lot of situations, it's me trying to survive. It's just me trying to, you know, live almost. And sometimes people ask me like, and how do I feel being in certain spaces where maybe historically I shouldn't be in them? And, you know, I feel fine there. 
I feel welcome there. I feel, you know, I perceive myself as belonging as just as anyone else. And so I think it's the other people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's everyone else that needs to like kind of ask themselves, like, why is that so rebellious? So yeah, I think that's it's super interesting concept. Yeah. And I mean, you haven't always been a floral designer. I kind of want to get your background and (laughs) and see like how you even got to this place because you started off doing graphic design. Is that right? Yeah. Tell me the story. It's a really wild path. But, you know, the more I talk to people, the more normal it seems, the more I listen to, you know, podcasts like this, the more normal it seems. But yes, so I started I was a student at FIT and I studied Uh, graphic design. And then later on, I switched to be a photography major because in school, you know, graphic design program was going in, you know, a very like capitalist direction. They were going to teach, you know, how to work at an ad agency where, you know, the photo program was still very fine art heavy. And the about 90% of the program was developing film, working with the dark rooms and things like that. And, and that's what I really, really loved. Then I dropped out of school. (laughs) And (laughs) I needed a job and all that artistic stuff didn't quite pay the bills. And so what I was really in demand was web design. This was maybe 2015. I mean, so I was working with an agency that was getting me graphic design jobs in like someone always needed a web designer, always needed what was called digital design. Mm -hmm. And I'd be doing anything for making those like tiny little annoying ads that pop up like (laughs) when you're on a website. Thanks a lot, Ryan. Thanks. That paid my rent. (laughs) All right. I I respect it. I respect it. And churning out, you know, hundreds of those. That was my like bread and butter. And I hated it. As much as you hated seeing them, the person who does them, who thinks my art is going to change the world and I'm doing little <laughs> banner ads, I hate it too. <laughs> so I was doing that for huge luxury fashion houses, luxury beauty companies where, you know, initially them reaching out to me, it's like super exciting. And then the reality of the situation, you get into these places, these institutions, you're pushing buttons, you're making crops, you're doing, you know, just very mindless work. So that's just what I thought I was doing. I was like, you know, I'm an adult now, holding down. And then right a long time where my husband graduated and got his placement in a school, I was just like, I can't, I can't do this. And I finally, my last job fired me over my social media presence because they kind of wanted me to just fall in line to like their brand. And, you know, I had so many different brands approaching me and I had like health insurance through them. I was technically a freelancer, meaning no benefits, no security. We can fire you whenever you want. And they did when they kind of saw me having some sort of like outside success. It was probably the weirdest firing they've ever had in life because it's just a weight was lifted off my shoulder. Okay. So you got fired. You weren't that upset about it other than being slightly embarrassed. Yeah. I think what saddened me was the fact that I knew I couldn't suck it up and be that quote unquote adult anymore. I was like, I cannot even apply to another job with this title. Because at that point, I had, like I said, I bounced around at all these, you know, big major companies that, you know, everyone was like, Oh, but Ryan, you're killing it. You're blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm killing it myself. <laughs> That's the only thing I am killing. Yes. And I, I think that was what really made me sad. I was like, I can't even bring myself to apply to another one of these jobs. And 
my husband was like, well, you need to get some job somewhere. <laughs> so what are you going to do? <laughs> I was, you know, kind of feeling stuck, like, you know, but what's my skill set other than this? And as my husband, he was like, well, don't you like, like plants and flowers around the house? So he spoke to a mutual friend of ours that owned a flower shop. And at this point, I had never done a flower arrangement in my life. I've, you know, boarded a fig tree on the weekends. Like that was about it. And he goes to the owner and he's like, you know, my wife, she's amazing with flowers. She creates amazing arrangements. You should really hire her. She'd be such an asset to your company. And he's like, sure, let's do it. And that's how I got my first job. You had never made an arrangement before? No. So how did you convince yourself that you could do that? I do not know. I was just like, hey, you know, this is my shot, though. And I was very honest with the owner. I was like, I'm totally down to learn, find out what my transferable skills are, etc. Like still selling myself. So he had me shadow him on a few jobs. And then I was also in turn running their social media account. And so I was not really designing and touching the flowers. Every now and then I get to do a few like little things, but they were the shop was very, as you guys probably know from watching a lot of florists work, they were more in the very traditional spectrum where, you know, a florist is someone who trains in a particular way for a particular amount of time. This is what a floral arrangement looks like very much in this very respectable box. And so I wasn't really allowed to touch many things, but I knew from the moment I stepped in there that this was what I was supposed to be doing. This is what I was supposed to be around. And it wasn't even my particular design aesthetic with flowers, but I like just being around them made me that happy. I was like, okay, I'm not, I might not be in the right, exactly the right place, but you know, I'm getting close. <laughs> and no more, you know, cropping on a computer or. No, every day was different. Every day I was dealing with living product. Every day, you know, it was amazing. And just, I was surrounded by beauty. And, and I think I really liked that no day looked the same. From there, I knew I had to not quite be there anymore. And I started interning with a florist that I was obsessed with. I'm sure you're familiar with the Putnams. When they were coming out with their first book, I was working at the flower shop and also working at a clothing shop, Greenpoint, at the same time on register. And it was a really slow day. And I saw, you know, they were doing a book signing at the Bronx Botanical Garden. And I was like, I don't know how, but I'm going to get in with them. <laughs> and, and that's how you met them? Yeah, I went to their book signing. And during their Q&A, obviously, pretty much the crowd was perhaps people like my grandma's age that, well, you know, could work on their garden. And then people my age that were trying to like be interns with them. So it was a full auditorium. So during the QA, obviously many people were asking, you know, about interning opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. And they were kind of almost discouraging it a bit. And they're like, hey, you know, interning's not what you think it is. It's really oh. a lot of like sweeping, you know, cleaning buckets, mopping, et cetera, et cetera. Like, unfortunately, you know, coming on with us doesn't mean you're gonna be like be actually designing anything. And, you know, for me, like I had interned so much in fashion. Mm -hmm. I had been anywhere from like Gucci, Teen Vogue, uh, Tibby, like all these other, you know, 
big fashion brands that I was like, it couldn't be, you know, any more difficult than working in fashion. So yeah, like, few few things could be more difficult than being an intern in fashion. I've been there. I was like, I mean, sure, I could do that. Yeah. So during the book signing portion, when I got to the front of the line, I was like, you got to say something. You got to say something. And I was like, hey, I clean buckets like no other. <laughs> and they were just like so sweet. And they're like, okay. <laughs> Right. They're like, why don't you send us an email? And they called me back within maybe a day or so. They're like, hey, you really stood out. We really liked you. Come intern with us. Fast forward, I interned with them for a few, like throughout, I think summer, fall, all the way through Christmas. And then that next January, I like opened an Instagram page. I was just like, hey guys, I'm doing my own thing. Mm -hmm. And the people I had already worked with through like fashion and beauty whether that was through office connections, whether it was through, you know, that social media following I started, they immediately supported me. Um, and those were my first clients. Wow. I love <laughs> that you talked about being able to clean a bucket because I think Instagram has taught us to like not see the dirty parts of work. And I think when you only see the beautiful arrangement that came, you know, like you don't get to see. And I remember my first internship ever was at a men's magazine and the editor in chief loved like an afternoon margarita. And so they would, I was an intern and they would send interns out to get limes for the margaritas. (laughs) And I remember one intern like not getting a good lime. And I was like, I have to get the best lime. And I know how silly it sounds, but like if you can pick the best lime, like that is a stepping stone to like writing a story or getting a byline. And it's like, you just have to be good at those things as well as the bigger things. And everyone just kind of wants to jump to the end. I wanted to jump to the end, but you know, you have to do those things first. Wait, how did the name Oat Cinnamon come up? It just is a delicious name. That's so funny. No one has ever asked me that. Wait, how? When I'm at the market, people, uh, when I give like a vendor my name or something, they're like, oh, love that for you (laughs) and and just kind of keep going about the day but no one ever forgets it so from my regular page my name is cinnamon ryan so i knew i wanted to kind of take a play on that without being like cinnamon ryan florals so i kind of wanted to remove myself a little bit because i was like you know one day i'd love to like have a team etc etc there was a lot of like forward thinking in mind with the name of cinnamon Mm -hmm. but the funny thing is it was like that was not my original name so i was actually cinnamon florals But I remember I started that business, like I said, just on Instagram. So no savings, no planning, nothing like that. And so whatever money I was making, putting it into the business, putting in the business, it was not profitable at that point. And I think I was late on um, my website payment one day for like my domain. And I was like, oh, it's fine. Like, you know, I'm just like under this rock. And I got an email one day and someone's like, hey, I bought your domain. If you want it back here's how much you could pay. Like you could like, we could talk. And I was like, what are you joking? I'm not even a profitable business. And someone just like, like was trying to like extort me already. And so I was like, I'm going to take back my power. And someone's going to see like, my business isn't cinnamon florals. I am the business. Yeah. And so I changed the name. I was like, okay, rebrand, change the Instagram name. And then went for like a trademark. So Oat Cinnamon, I could not tell you exactly where the oat came from, but it literally (laughs) just came from a line of, you know, okay, pivoting from not trying to be 
completely different, hopefully still our tiny bit of customer base, like kind of being able to relate the two names, but that's eventually we came up with Oat Cinnamon. When I think of oat cinnamon, I can picture it in my brain, like right away. I can picture these kind of like feathery dried florals and I can picture like neon or pastels. And I feel like your style is like super rebellious, especially Mm. in the like traditional floral world. (laughs) So how did you get there? Were you like, I'm going to do things different or was that just what you naturally were like, this is how I think an arrangement should look? You know, to be very honest, it was really a natural progression. I was never trained with dry florals, but, you know, I think it was really me being inspired from the market. So I would just go and buy stuff and with whatever money I was, you know, getting. But, you know, obviously at the market, you're buying in wholesale quantity. So unless you have a certain amount of clients, you're not even going to make any money back. So I was like, you know, why not just go all out? And I wanted to just get things that were just like, this is crazy. This is insane. And really, like you said, push the boundary on what is a floral arrangement. I think that's where it really started. I just wanted to go crazy with imagination, but it it really wasn't intentional of I'm going to be the pompous grass florist or the dry stem Mm -hmm. florist or the technicolor florist. I just, I knew I wanted things to feel imaginative and really my love language is gift giving. I get no other high than just when someone receives a gift from me, just like this wow moment on their face. And I feel that every time I do an arrangement, do an installation or whatever. And I think that's where it came from. Just like, I want this person when they see this, to just be like knocked off their feet, like just in awe, never seen these stems before. And I get that a lot with people like, I've never seen this. What's the name of that? I was thinking about before this conversation about kind of like floral trends. And when I worked at Martha Stewart Weddings like 10 years ago, it was all about like, this looks like it was wildflowers picked from a field. And then it was like everything was very like loose and drapey. And now everything seems to be like high drama like especially with your work, like it's very dramatic and cool. When did you notice that people were like attracted to what you were doing? Was there like a big break or when was it like, oh, Pete, I'm into this and people are really responding? That's a great question. I'm not sure if it was one particular moment, but I think, like I said, I was 100% social media based. We had the website just because, you know, like I said, I had friends at like corporate offices who were just like, kind of like, hey, I kind of need that. Like, I kind of need a business card. I kind of need all these like, you know, conventional things just pass you along to my boss. But other than that, you're in. So, but it was really the response off Instagram, you know, whether it was, just crazy amount of likes on something. And then, you know, people resharing it, then, you know, obviously, I'm super grateful for people like either Eva Chen or Katie Jane Hughes or Busy Phillips and these like people who were like sharing my stuff say I love oat cinnamon. And that just attracted a lot of, you know, more people like crazy. But it was also, you know, just friends, people who loved us, just, you know, word of mouth. And, and, and really, for all the flack that we give social media, it I wouldn't have a business without it. And, and because of that, we really had to stand out on social media. I knew coming into that platform, I knew kind of what I was playing with, you know, with a platform like Instagram and, and, and just what obviously from having that social media following on my regular page, what kind of goes there. And that's what people, you know, like to see bigger, like brighter, bolder. That's what really 
performs well on the application. And then, you know, you get those clients and then you can play around with different things like that. Have you gotten pushback from like traditional florists who are like, why is she painting flowers in like ombre pastels? And what do you do with that feedback? Not to my face. Yeah. But... <laughs> That's good. <laughs> <laughs> I see it, you know, some on other pages and different, you know, side comments and things like that. Like, that's not natural. And to each his own. That's what I say. I'm not here to criticize anyone. I think there's enough space for everyone. I'm not here to gatekeep flowers. At the end of the day, like, I live an extremely chaotic life. I don't even have really a lot of time to think about things like that. I know for myself, like, for me, I feel before a florist, I feel like an artist and I, I really just have to stay true to my craft. I do my best to, you know, make sure like, you know, those things are reused when possible that, you know, we're composting wherever we can. We can be like super mindful and intentional with the things we're doing in an industry where there is a lot of waste, you know, working in events and things like that. And there's amazing companies now that will help you even, you know, repurpose the flowers you have used at an event. And we're doing our best to, to design, you know, like that and, Whoever doesn't like my stuff doesn't have to buy it. <laughs> exactly. You don't have to follow. You don't have to subscribe yeah, if you don't like it. That. But luckily, you know, one thing I will say is the flower industry is, is very gracious. It's full of just really amazing people. And you don't run into a lot of people like that. Yeah, that's really nice. Was there a time you tried something wild, like outside of your comfort zone? You're like, we're going to do this crazy thing. And it totally failed. I'd say we've done both of those things, maybe not at the same time. We always go for big crazy, and I have failed. I think the first time, and maybe one of the last times there was a big failure, was really one of my first jobs. I was working just for a friend. She had almost no floral budget, so I just took it as like advertising. I was like, okay, I'm not going to make any money on this, and yeah. I'm going to make negative money on this, but... I'm going to go and I'm going to blow it out. And hopefully, you know, I'll gain more clients. And we took a bunch of, you know, in season Icelandic poppies. Absolutely stunning, gorgeous. However, I didn't know how to properly care for them. So we did almost like maybe 90% of the job as Icelandic poppies. And what we didn't know is that whenever you cut the stem of a poppy, you need to burn the end of it because... Once you put in that water, like sap can kind of like seep out of the stem and into the water and it will kill everything else. What? The arrangement. Yeah. Okay. That's important to know, but I would have never known that. I didn't know it either. So we got to the event and like everything's like half dead. And so it felt you know, earth shatteringly terrible, but I learned and I don't know, somehow we, we just we made it work with a lot less flowers. So I think we took whatever wasn't dead from that moment and put that into some vases. They mostly had to last through the duration of the dinner. And then people like took whatever flowers were alive still at the end of it home. But after that, I think we haven't had any, you know, glaring failures because I was just very much like that will never happen to me again. I'm going to over plan. I do call sheets just for like jobs. I'm, super intense on the organizational front if there's a flower i don't know much about like i don't get prideful like i'll ask the vendor like how do you take care of this this event's on this day what do i need to do like can this last to the point where i don't care if i'm annoying i'll do as much research as possible (laughs) i know you don't like roses 
But do you have a favorite flower? That changes depending on the day. Today, I love sweet pea so much. I do too. I love sweet pea because it's it's, it's not even what you think of when you think of a flower. I think typically Uh you think of a flower as something, you know, green stem, petals, you know, leaves. And sweet pea is just like not that at all. And it's gorgeous. It's absolutely stunning. And it's so diverse and what you can do with it. You can make it sparse. You can make it full. It's the beautiful, delicate colors it comes in. Like I really, really love it. And I love almost that it's so like temperamental as well. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. Oh, it, the sweet pea is there for just the right situation. If not, she's out. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate that. She has boundaries. It's funny to She has boundaries. We love a sweet pea. Yeah. <laughs> and her boundaries. I find it funny that flowers are like these things that people have such opinions about. Like you were saying, like, I don't like roses or some people are like, you know, I don't really care for a dahlia. I know that's kind of controversial. And I was watching old Sex in the City and there's a scene where Charlotte's like, oh my gosh, he gave her carnations, like horrible. So I was curious where you fall on the carnation debate. Oh my gosh. I'm like like carnations live like oh my gosh like i think people first off there are so many variations of carnations for one where it's just like that you can't even speak about carnations like they're a monolith anymore there's so much like variety in them there's so much you know life in them as well like you know they've taken it different places with different dyes and carnations and also the the carnation is going to outlive almost everything else in the arrangement. That's what the carnation is going to do. You can manipulate carnations. Like if they're a bit closed, you can go ahead and like pinch the bottoms of them. They'll open up a bit. Like there's just so much you can do with them. And they can very well go from being more than just a filler flower. Like carnation's a team player. But I think you got to give the carnation credit where credit's due because they, they definitely can carry not only an arrangement, but an installation too. So where a lot of jobs I come into, there's, you know, installation brain, there's arrangement brain, there's very different flowers that I will use for different scenarios, different things I'll use for a wedding. There's a lot of different factors, but a carnation can pretty much jump into anything. Yeah, no, I'm part of hashtag carnation, you know, like <laughs> justice I, for the carnation. Yeah, I'm there. I know you do a lot of events. Is there a public place that you're dying to just like drape with your floral arrangements? Not a place, but definitely a type. Like, I really want to do an aquatic situation. I don't know where that would be. Like, it doesn't have to be the aquarium or whatever. I would love to do some particular museums. But yeah, I'm dying to do this, like, you know, coral, like, bright blues, like, just, like, pearls, like, just really, really amazing, like aquatic stuff. Um, Because I think what I found is a lot of customers gravitate towards a specific like warm tone color palette. And I was like, man, I want to do something. I want to show like the opposite. I guess Mm -hmm. that is rebellious, huh? But (laughs) also like, should we throw a pool party and you can do this? (laughs) Yes, please. I will do anything Domino wants. I buy bodega flowers a lot. Sorry. Even though our office is on 28th Street, we're like on the flower market. Um, so don't judge. But if I'm at the bodega and I can only buy like one bunch, what should I get? Like, should I get the variety pack or should I just get a single flower? 
you know, like how what how can I make it look chic on a budget? First of all, I do not down bodega flowers at all. So you're not going to hear that kind of slander from me. I think, you know, nature should be accessible. You should do whatever you can like access and, and whatever can make you happy. And so definitely not, like I said, not here to gatekeep flowers. However, if you are at the bodega, if that's where you find yourself, I would not, <laughs> I would ask you to please not buy the variety pack for this reason. I, I, I like to find this real nice balance between, like I said, the fantastic and, you know, the unrealistic with the organic. And so for me, in nature, you're never going to find like one rose with like one like chrysanthemum with one bow. That's just not how things grow together. Ah, However, yeah. you'll find a rose bush or you'll find like a crop of tulips or you'll find, you know, a cherry tree, you know, the nature things grow together. And so if you just get a pack of tulips, there's so much you can do with that. If you just get a pack of roses, a lot you can do with that. And I find that that looks, you know, in terms of design, a lot more elevated than, you know, the variety pack. It shows that a, a sense of control. It shows a sense of like discipline and in, in, in my personal opinion. I don't have control or discipline, but I will follow your <laughs> advice. I get really stumped when it comes to arranging, though. And I, I was wondering your opinion on like floral foam, floral frogs. I've even used chicken wire inside the vase to get things to go the right way like how do I make it look pretty wow you first of all you sound pretty seasoned already so oh well thank no. you <laughs> I am against floral foam because isn't it really bad yes, for the environment it's yeah, really okay. bad for the environment it releases a lot of microplastics it's not biodegradable and so you know the big push in the floral industry you'll see the hashtag no floral foam but I think you know with that there has to be a lot of education on you know what we can do so for that education but it's great that you pointed out there's many other things you can do besides foam chicken wire is really great I love floral frogs as well, but I think, you know, it really is, you know, case by case. Um, I, a chicken wire for me is when you have a vase that you can't see what's inside because chicken wire does get to look a little chaotic inside, especially when you want it to have some nice stability with the arrangement. I'm going to like ball it up like crazy so that my stem can like enter as many entry points as possible. So it's nice and stable, but that way you can make these really, you know, wild and organic compositions with the floral frog. It's when I'm doing something a bit more minimal because you're just utilizing how much space you have on that frog. And so that's mainly when you do have, you know, your bodega flowers, you just have one pack of tulips. Let's get crazy with like the heights of the tulips. Let's like put them in different directions. And, you know, we have just a few stems. So let's try to do that. Let's maybe break them up in two different vases. Like one's going to go one direction, one's going to the other. So yeah, I think, and something we also use in industry is like floral tape where we'll make these like kind of grid situations where you can like kind of go ahead and put your flowers in the corresponding holes like that. Super simple, super accessible. If all you have is scotch tape, you can do it too. You're just having some friends over for dinner and you want to impress them a little bit. That works totally fine. Awesome. I've also heard a lot of different methods for keeping flowers alive longer. And obviously with dried flowers, you don't have to worry about this, but like I've heard put a penny in there. I've heard use like Sprite or 7-Up. I've heard all. So like what? Tell us the truth, Ryan. What's the truth? <laughs> to be honest, there, there is many, many things we can do with it. I have done the penny trick before and it's worked. 
you know, I do that with my personal flowers. I've never done that with client flowers. However, the best thing I can say is one, it starts from when you buy it. I would look for the absolute most freshest conditions you can. If you see leaves browning, if the stems feel soggy, if you flip your stem over and that like end of it, it's looking kind of either black, brown or whatever, probably not the the healthiest thing sometimes i might give them a like gentle shake if there's like anything falling off of them you know i would start from there like okay maybe not the freshest from there once i get the arrangement home we're going to cut the stems on a 45 degree angle that way the stem itself or the flower itself can drink as much water as possible i'll also go ahead and make sure if i can whenever i i feel like it's the most aesthetic to like strip some leaves off when the water is traveling up through that flower it's gonna hit all those points and so once i cut that leaf off you know that's just one less thing taking away that water instead of getting to the head of that flower from there i'm gonna make sure i use a little bit of flower food when i initially put the water in my vase and then i'm gonna use cold water as much as possible depending on the flower and then finally i'm going to change my water out frequently if you can't do it every day every other day is is beneficial and then i'm going to realize you know sometimes things have to die like (laughs) it's true it's a part of life Um, what do you do to recharge when you're not being a rebel or do you find that maybe your job gives you moments of you know meditation and peace (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Absolutely not. Well, I was thinking this romantic ideal of you like arranging flowers. There was times I'm walking down the street sweaty with just like pounds of flowers and some like innocent bystander will be like, lucky you with those flowers. And they don't know that I've been up since Uh (laughs) 4am. I have not like eaten yet. My hands are blistered with thorns and like, yeah, it's can be rough. No, there's definitely moments, you know, I'm in the studio alone, just kind of vibing out, making an arrangement. But I'd say that's about 10% of my job. Uh There's times where, you know, flower, you get some flowers back to your studio. It has mold in it. Like things are dead. Like, But, you know, to answer your question in terms of recharging, I think I love a good playlist when I'm in the studio alone. I love blasting music. I love driving. Like a nice evening sunset drive is amazing. I do a lot of driving with my job. And I love also when they're in a good mood, just being with my kids, being with my Mm -hmm. husband, just like the much as I can to get my mind off of work is what really works for me. So what advice do you have for fellow rebels? What's your North Star that keeps you like thinking differently or, you know, reevaluating the status quo? I think one of the things I always say to myself, because I often work alone, is (laughs) I don't have anyone around to just hear my drops of wisdom. (laughs) Well, I'm here for them. You can tell me. One thing I say to myself is that you have to know the rules to break them. And so I think kind of what you were saying in terms of, you know, that intern that like, you know what, they know where to get the best juiciest lime. One day they're going to be lime master and then they're going to go off and they're going to do their own thing. They're going to have their own fruit stand or, you know, whatever the case is. But you have to kind of be excellent at following the rules in order to get out out of that place where you can like break them all. And I think that's what I did. I think a lot of people, they get into these places where, you know, 
the great resignation and all these other things of just doing whatever you want, self-made, sensationalized, romanticized, but you don't see that other side of you start from zero. You, you know, build something else, you know, you have no context in this new thing you want to do. So do all that research, be willing to take on anything in order to get into that next place. But, you know, it started from me, you know, knowing the best way to clean a bucket, knowing what makes mold growing flowers, knowing, you know, what my boss's coffee order was, knowing all those rules, knowing the specific ways of traditionally doing flowers so that I can go out and do it my own way. Yeah. What is your next act of rebellion? I am going to expand even further out of flowers and and get into a few more areas of design and where I can think of myself not just as a florist, but just as a designer holistically. So I can't wait to show you guys some more of that. I know. Keep us posted. (laughs) I can't let you go just yet because we play a really fun game here called Never Have I Ever. Okay. And I'm going to read you some prompts and you're going to have to tell me whether or not you've done these things. So you ready? It'll be fun. I promise. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Never have I ever arranged my books by color. I've never. I've never done that. Surprising. I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's this is it's a divisive topic as well. Never have I ever painted an accent wall. I've never. (laughs) Wow. Because when I had my own room at my parents' place, instead of doing an accent wall, I did all the walls in accent. Instead of what should have just been an accent wall, every wall was a deep teal. (laughs) Oh, what a choice. Choices were made. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, we were young. Very young. Never have I ever fought with a significant other over a decor item. I have never. I have. Ryan. (laughs) I have asserted myself in the house as the executive interior designer. And my husband very early on in our marriage agreed to that. And so Uh when he does have any like kind of, oh, but I was like, executive, we agreed. Like you don't get to go back. And so he can't say anything. And so as he's like starting to kind of develop opinions and things like that, I'm like, oh, yeah. But remember, we had that talk and you kind of said it was OK. And, and I executively say no. <laughs> he's like, I regret that talk. Yes. So it's really never it's never been able to go past that because I get the executive decision there. Amazing. Never have I ever cried while building Ikea furniture. I have never. never cried or never built ikea furniture i have built like i if you can see behind me but there's a full wardrobe built out and i built it is that a pax (laughs) yeah it's a pax system it looks like you edited it though like you made it your own customizes like the knobs the doors etc my husband helped me build just the frame like the first frames and but the shelves Uh the doors everything i did it and no tears not one i loved it yeah, I really like building stuff too. So I'm not like, right, I, right, I like, right, right, right. I get into it. I just also, I, I think IKEA is like quite intuitive. Like, I feel like if it was like, yeah. I don't know, like build your own table out of like that tree over there. Yeah, I would cry, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Never have I ever spent way too much on a vintage piece. Yeah, you got me there. I, I have. have. 
I would say too much when I furnished this place, actually. I got this uh, found on Etsy, at Etsy Fine, this gorgeous, vintage, original Bellini chair, not the sofa. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, I found this, it's like this, like has like this grid pattern on it. Of course, it's my son's favorite chair. And so Aww. he like jumps on it. He wants to like drink his like sippy cup on it. And when he like, oh, I'm like, that chair is not even paid for. Like, yeah, do you not. have no idea. Yeah, I was like, don't like even look at it. Um, that means I paid too much for it if I yeah. didn't even have the money for it. So, yeah. This is a financial podcast now. (laughs) Okay, last one. Never have I ever accidentally killed a plant. Not flowers. This is, you know, specifically a plant. A plant? No. No. Never? I'm no fun. I'm so sorry. I have never. You haven't done anything. That's how I got the job. I was so good with the plants in my house. (laughs) Well, thank you, Ryan. I learned a ton about you, about flowers. And this was just like a treat. So I really, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I love you guys. When I found out that I was doing this podcast, my one and really only request in the whole process was that Shadi Al-Hindi, the head of IT at our parent company, Recurrent, read the closing credits. And I know that might sound funny, but Shadi has a voice that I swear could sue the hundred crying babies. And I know this because sometimes when my computer's not working, I am that crying baby. And just hearing him talk instantly lowers my blood pressure. You will hear what I mean in just a second. I'm so excited to share Shadi and his beautiful voice with the world. Take it away, Shadi. Hello, I'm Shadi Al-Hindi. And contrary to popular belief, I am not a voiceover actor, yet at least, but I am the Vice President of Technology at Recurrent, Domino's parent company. Julie asked me to read the credits to the podcast you've just heard. I blindly said yes, so I think that makes me a rebel too. And here we are. Design Time, The Rebellious Ones is hosted by Julie Fadnell and produced by Ali Alquiza, with special thanks to Lindsay Mather, Britt Ashcraft, Claire Urshishon, Michaela Klein, Kim Gray, Lindsay DeSimone, and Maria Luna. Our chief content officer is Kate Berry. Our theme music is by the talented Alex Weinstein. And I'm Shadi Al-Hindi, Vice President of Technology at Recurrent Ventures. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. See you all next week, right here on Design Time, The Rebellious Ones.